0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're here today. We have an incredible guest who has a huge heart and is just changing the world, transforming people's lives. So today you're gonna meet Ben Eckett. Maybe some of you know him already. He lives in England and he's been practicing yoga since 2016. And that might not seem like so long for some people, but he's not just practicing asana, which he does. He is taking his yoga practice off the mat and into the world and transforming people's lives, working with people who don't have the resources, don't have the support systems to find yoga or to find resources that can really help. Ben has over 15 years of experience working in social care with youth offenders and doing youth work and education. And so it might not come as a surprise that he is the co founder and director of a nonprofit called Gloves Not Guns, which uses sport and education to divert young people from crime and exploitation. And this is a wonderful organization and one wonderful initiative that he has co-founded. And it organizes community sports, offers mentoring, offers school workshops and counseling and alternative education for students who are struggling. It has a program within it called Box Flow Yoga, which was used as an intervention to help young people uh, who are involved with serious violence um, and also with gangs. Ben has created these classes to help teach these kids asana um, connected with boxing and to really teach them how to connect to their breath Uh, how to go in and start to focus their mind in a type of meditation practice and so that they can develop their emotional awareness and build resilience. It's had a wonderful positive influence on so many young people and helps to keep them in school, in learning, and out of uh, prison. Uh, This organization also goes into prisons and helps some of the youth that are in the prison system already. So it should be no surprise to you that Ben also was um, sought out to start the UK branch of Urban Yogis. And Urban Yogis UK is, again, part of a nonprofit um, organization that provides support to young people and communities using yoga. They also provide mentoring and education support. And it's really about creating positive future. It's about um, making yoga accessible to all uh, all people who are interested so that uh, there are no more social, economic, gender, cultural barriers that would prevent someone from being able to access these super powerful tools that we learn in our yoga practice and in yoga classes. And so their team has a wide range of experience and qualifications, all integrating yoga, sport, movement, social care, education, Um, and they're out there delivering yoga classes to people who otherwise would not be exposed to yoga or could not afford um, to attend just a yoga studio or a regular yoga class. So I know you're gonna be super inspired by Ben and his mission, and I hope that it also inspires you to find your purpose, to find your calling, and to get out there and take your own personal yoga practice into the world in whatever way that that manifests for you. Um, if you'd like to join me on Saturday, April 16th, I would love to help you find your purpose or if you have a purpose to start creating small steps in the planning process, I'm offering a workshop on Saturday, April 16th, called Purpose Planning and Breathwork. We're going to learn how to uh, stop feeling overwhelmed and also stop feeling so burnt out that you can't truly like bring your heart's desire into the world. And so no matter whether you already kind of have something on your heart that you want to create, um, whether it's a shift in your mindset or needing to increase your positivity or your clarity, we are going to look at some simple strategies to help you get there, to help you rest, get the rest you need, but also to connect more deeply to your purpose, to your calling, and then plan out a few small steps to start moving you in that direction. All um, interwoven with self-care practices, with moments of mini mindfulness, with breath work or pranayama that are just going to help to calm your mind and wake up. Um, That thing that that is calling you into to bring into the world, you know, it's so amazing when we connect to our passion and connect to building a life that we love, um, something that gets us up in the morning, gets us out of bed, we feel like we're here for a purpose, we're doing good, we're helping people. Um, So if that sounds like something you're ready for, be sure to sign up for my workshop this Saturday, April 16th. Um, I can't wait to see you inside. We're going to have two hours of powerful purpose planning and also some practice, some meditation and breath work integrated into uh, the workshop structure. So you can head over to my website, harmonyslater.com, and find out all of the information. For that. And in the meantime, I want you to just sit back and listen to Ben and hear about all the incredible work that he's doing, how he found his purpose, how he connected deeply to his calling and his passion in the world, and how it's transforming lives, so many lives, really changing society. And it's so important. It's so powerful, and I'm just absolutely honored to have him on the podcast today and to speak with him and share his mission with you all. So let's get to it. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and... I'm joined today by Russell Kay.
1: So good. I understand that you have one of the stars from The Only Way is Essex is on the show today. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Where I learned the term vajazzled, which came up in last week's episode, which is cool.
0: <laughs> we are here. And I
1: think we're gonna learn how to vajazzle um or bajazzle our JJ. No. Oh. What are we doing today?
0: We're gonna talk to Ben Eckett about his organizations, Gloves, not guns.
1: Oh, that yeah, that'd be better, probably.
0: Yeah, and Urban Yogis UK. Oh yeah. I I We're over did a, in England again. I did
1: an Urban Yogis <laughs> West Coast once. That's good. You did? I did, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> You don't. you don't remember when I did that whole thing with Eddie and the urban yogis and uh, we got all those guys and flew them out to San oh, Francisco and right. they worked with the
2: kids.
0: Well, let's talk about that.
2: That'd be nice.
0: Okay. Yeah, How are you be doing, nice. Ben?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Great, great intro. <laughs> Thanks. Sadly, I'm not, I'm not from Essex. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry I of can't help there. Oh, where are you from? So I'm originally from Devon in the southwest of England. Oh,
1: that's very different.
2: Yeah, and where are you I, now? So I'm in it's London brilliant. now. So yeah, I I moved to London about I mean like 15, 16 years ago. Oh, cool. Um, so, is that,
1: that sounds like an East East End Essex accent. I mean, is, did you pick that up? Did you, were you born with
2: that? <laughs> so my dad's side of the family are from London. I never, um, I never really had like a Devon accent. Um, no, my brothers and sisters do actually, but uh, yeah, I never <laughs> had it. And now, now I've been in London so long, it's uh, yeah, my accent's changed a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, you sound like a tough guy. My goodness, <laughs>
2: <Talk to that. laughs>
1: Devon is a whole different flavor. I used to go down to Devon to see, um, what's his name, John Scott and Penzance, and you know, he's, I mean, he's obviously not from Devon. He's from, um, what's that Island near Australia, New Zealand. And so, you know, he's kind of, you know, sweet sort of faux Scottish kind of accent,
3: but, oh, Scottish! you
1: know, not at all, you know, like a hard nuts from Essex. Did you, you didn't do time in Essex, did you? No, I didn't. No, <laughs> <You> never <laughs> you ever did any hard time. Oh, that's a shame. I was wanted to talk with you because my dad did some. He did um, federal time for uh, for drug charges, and so I like to meet other young men who have that in their back pocket. You
0: know? Different podcasts, mm-hmm. different <laughs> guests.
1: Well, for I have an intro. Um, I'm really, um, this is going to be fun. Ben Ecke is the co-founder and director of Gloves Not Guns, CIC, which uses sports and education to divert young people from crime and exploitation, which I could have used as a young man, Uh, especially the exploitation part. The uh, organization offers community sports, mentoring, schools, workshops, counseling, and an alternative education provision. In 2019, Ben became director and yoga teacher at Urban Yogis. You also you have a PhD in social pedagogy. I mean, this is really your life's work, isn't it?
2: I don't have a PhD in social pedagogy, no. I did, I did, I did a degree um, oh I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just but, yeah. you, that just came you, out the wrong way. I should have just been like yes, yes I have. Uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> no. No, I I did I I can can't stand education and no, no. yeah, about I did I did my degree when I was 29, went back to to okay. my degree, so I finished it. Yeah. It took 4 years. Um yeah, and I actually enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. but yeah, no, education definitely wasn't wasn't for me.
1: Well it sounds like working with with the youth is something that that was of interest to you. How did that how did that manifest for you? How did that start to to percolate?
2: Yeah, so when I when I left school, I was I didn't really know what I was going to do and I got scout so I used to play football. Um <laughs> And I got scouted to join Exeter City, which is like a, a professional football club, but a very small professional football club in, the, in <laughs> the England, which like they're sort of like League Two now. Um, and I I basically did like a youth team thing where I sort of trade and trained and played for their youth team and then went to college at the same time. And I did that for two years and I came out of it and I was I was sort of quite unsure what I was going to do um, and I ended up doing a bit of football coaching on a local estate down in Devon um, in an area where there was you know quite a bit of deprivation and not many opportunities for young people and I just, just I just loved, just loved uh,
1: it. An estate in our in North America would be sort of like a housing project yeah that's what he means by estate. Oh, yeah, it not it, to us, an estate is like a like a mansion.
2: Oh right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's <quite>. very different. <laughs> um, yeah, so so basically, I just loved it. I loved working with young people, and the the people that were sort of running the program offered me like a, an opportunity to to train as a youth worker. Um, at the time, I didn't really have any qualifications, so it was it was like a entry level thing um and then yeah so i trained as a youth worker for three Mm. years and then at the time when i was doing that a couple years into it i decided i wanted to set my own project up so Mm. with with a mate of mine back in devon we set up a project called why surf Mm. and it was all to do with teaching young people like from Mm. sort of backgrounds where they didn't have enough money to like access surfing and things like that we'd teach (laughs) them to surf for free yeah um and it was crazy. Like, I know you were talking about Devon earlier. Like, it's, it's an interesting place because environmentally, like, when people look at it, it's beautiful. Like, and, you know, if you if it, face value, you think it's, it's like perfect, but there's quite a lot of unemployment. There's a lot of problems yeah. with drugs down there. Um, yeah. And, and just like, there's a lot of people, you know, with not much money. So we were working like in areas like 10 miles away from the sea. And some of the families had never been to the beach before. So oh, it, it, yeah. was, it was mad. Um, so, yeah, so I ran, I ran that project for a few years, did really well. We got sort of invited to the Houses of Commons to talk about wow. the, the project and, and how we'd sort of, um, you know, been able to support young people into learning to surf. And then it was just around the time when like a lot of government cuts came in. Mm-hmm. And the funding for that project stopped. Um, and then at that point, I decided. Then the the project had finished. I'd finished my sort of youth work training, and I decided that I'd move to London. And and sort of yeah. Then, then from there, my sort of career in 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 youth work and and like education, social care just sort of changed a bit. So I I started working in schools at first, but schools where they're called pupil referral units. And it's for where like young people that are are in mainstream school have been kicked out of school Mm. and they go to these like specialist schools. So I worked there for quite a period of time. And then I sort of got into working within councils and and doing sort of more within social care and youth offending, like working with more like whole family support. Mm. And then and then I ended up moving into working more into like gangs work. So I was working with young people that were you know entrenched in in gangs and, and county lines and criminal exploitation and and yeah did that all over London um and then five years ago I so I, I did all I sort of worked within that in like in youth work and and education social care for about 15 years and then I met Adam Mm-hmm. He's the co-founder of Gloves Not Guns and, and Urban Yogis.
1: What's his last name?
2: Adam Ballard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we sort of built Gloves Not Guns from there. Really cool.
1: Um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about um the mission and like the vision for Gloves Not Guns. You you sent me a, a vision statement. We aim to prevent and divert young people from crime, antisocial behaviour, exclusion from education, and care. Uh, through building positive relationships, education, community, cohesion, and using the power of sport to change lives. And I think by care, you mean, um, you know, uh, being taken care of by the government, which is a bit different. We would say that a bit differently. I wonder if you could tell us a bit or maybe expand on on that vision statement for us.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, me and Adam both have... Sort of individually being impacted through sport Um, in one way or other, another, it's it sort of had a positive impact on our lives, Um, and I think that's where sort of the the passion came for us to set up this project. Um, Adam was was uh, had been running Croydon Boxing Club for quite a long period of time, and sort of had this idea to set up Gloves Not Guns and 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 started it, Um, and then I met Adam by chance and sort of told him what my background was and at that point we decided we would develop it together the idea for what we wanted to do is we 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 knew from the experience of our of work and living in the community and whatever that you needed like a wraparound service to support young people it couldn't just be like one angle you couldn't just go in and you know we couldn't just get kids off the street and teach them boxing and think that was going to change their lives it, mm-hmm. You know, it would to to, to to some extent but yeah. there needed to be you know mentoring for them there needed to be support around their education and employment there needed to be some sort of therapeutic intervention because of a lot of them experienced a lot of trauma mm-hmm. um there needed to be like support for the families because for us if you don't change the home environment you know it's very hard to change that situation for a young person. You know, you can give them all the tools you can, but if they keep going back to that home and it's the same Mm. thing, you know, repeating itself, like you're not breaking that cycle. So the aim of like, you know, what we've put in our mission statement is really around just creating that wraparound care for the community and the young people to try and make like long-term systemic change for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, many of the young people we work with, they, you know, have social workers involved in their life. They have youth offending workers. They're maybe not in education. So a lot of, you know, the barriers in their life Mm. is like education, is family. And, and Mm. you know, if we can we can prevent a young person from getting excluded from education, we know it's going to have a much better impact on preventing them from being exploited in the community because if a young person gets excluded from school, they've got more time on their hands. They're not safeguarded as well. They're out in the community and, you know, there's so much like grooming going on and it's Mm -hmm. quite easy for them to get exploited into gangs. So Mm
3: -hmm.
2: the idea is to try and keep them in the home environment, you know, unless they need to be removed because of, you know, neglect and, and other issues keep them in school and then get them engaged in all our sort of support services that we have.
3: Um,
1: Well, I think about my own family and the difference between being working class and say, you know, being aspiring was that instead of that, that knee jerk response to a young person saying you're, well, you're, you're kind of too stupid to do that. And there's a knee-jerk response to violence, and a knee-jerk response to kind of margin- marginalizing a person and destroying their confidence. Like that's kind of, to me, part and parcel of growing up working class. Mm. But tr- being an aspiring middle-class person is more about you know when you see a young person and encouraging them, and really kind of doing everything you can to kind of build up their their confidence. It, and I. So what you said just now really kind of struck true like the very hardest thing about working in underserved communities is is rebuilding confidence and that intervention at home is 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 the mountain to climb for an organization like yours so i wonder how how much work do you have to do to to get into people's homes to kind of help them interact with each other in a more positive way
2: yeah great question i think a lot of the time it's 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 making sure that the people that are doing delivering the intervention are relatable to the to the families Mm -hmm. um so you know for instance the majority of our staff team are from the communities they they work in um we've got i think it's around 40% of our staff team and and now people that have come through the project so that that were maybe referred in as a young person 5 years ago and you know they've we've we've supported them to change their lives around they've then gone through sort of a volunteer and training process and then they're becoming staff mm-hmm. now when they then go into that fam- family environment to do some support i think you know it's it's the families feel much more at ease knowing that it's someone that they can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a really important aspect of it. I think then there's there's the also the side of it, making sure that our staff team are trained and and have done lots of training around, you know, trauma-informed practice and, you know, restorative approaches, all these different things that we know, Then there's a bit of you know theory behind the practice and that we're using tools that have been used by you know therapists and social workers for years that we know sort of are going to make an impact um and then it's just like like anything just being compassionate and showing empathy and and going into the home and not being judgmental like you don't know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes so and it's a very intrusive thing when someone comes into your home to like tell you that you're not that essentially you're not like doing something right in relation to your parenting mm-hmm. so you've just got to be so sensitive so reflective and and show all those other qualities that I just mentioned um and I think that's why we we have success with you know a lot of our families we work with because you know, those, those things I've just mentioned are really important to, to the way we work. Mm-hmm. Mm. We
1: were hiring in, in, um, San Francisco, the, I think right away we knew like the hardest thing is that the people, the people that really wanted to work for us were all white girls <laughs> yes. and they were really well-meaning and earnest and they really loved yoga and really wanted to bring yoga to kids. It's like, okay, we're going to go into a Title I environment that's underserved that's, um, in this instance, um, was uh, 90% Latino and 10% Tongan Samoan and 1% African American. And a couple of principals, kids that were little white white kids. Uh, Going into that environment, like the hardest thing was like, well, how are you going to gain their trust? What about you? You could be well meaning as you want, but how are you going to gain their trust? And and so I was trying to find uh, other uh, Latina women, and I was trying to find you know women of color to hire because I knew that was going to be the crucible. Uh, one of the best things that we ever did was bring in some of the urban yogis from New York who were working with Eddie. We brought them into the school to kind of hang out in the class. And that was fantastic. It gave such legitimacy to our crew when we had people of color coming in to, to help us out. Cause we were, you know, it was, it was a struggle.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm not sure that maybe I didn't, I didn't actually ask a question. there. (laughs) No,
2: no, but yeah, I get definitely. And I, I, the thing is as well, you know, it's, it's, it comes back to what I just said a minute ago as well. It's like, if you're a compassionate person that you know has empathy and and has has made sure that you've educated yourself about the communities you're working with I don't think it matters you know what color you are and what your background is like Mm -hmm. because you know we've got teachers from all types of backgrounds that work with all types of people and you know they they have a amazing impact and I think it's it's about just a positive relationship for that young person, which maybe they've not had. They've not had an experience of a positive mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. Um, there's definitely something though as well about what you've just said around, you know, re- relatability and and the and the students seeing themselves in a in in the teacher, which is mm-hmm. which is huge. Like, and you know, that's why we've put a big em- emphasis on making sure that our staff are relatable and come from the communities they work in and. Mm-hmm. making sure that we're you know trying to make yoga more accessible to black and ethnic minority communities because it's it certainly isn't in london like you know you, you go to most yoga classes and it's it's mainly full of white women yeah. um,
3: <laughs> and of a
2: class. and it's quite expensive yeah, no <laughs> I, like, I i can't afford to bloody go to the class they're like 15 <laughs> like 15 to 20 quid a class like yeah. 100 pound a membership it's it's yeah it's it, yeah that it money you could go off. to your kids it, mm. <laughs> like, yeah so and it's it is getting a little bit better definitely but there's yeah. still a lot of work to be done in that and that's one thing we're you know we're really passionate about is is, mm-hmm. is making sure and like we're in the process of creating a teacher training that will hopefully launch the end of the year we've got Helen McCabe I think you You know, and and a guy called Rohill involved in in, um, developing it. And our teacher training will be specific to working in youth and communities. And it will, the profit, it will go out to the general community, but the profit, uh, general public, sorry, but the profit it makes will fund people that can't afford to do it to be able to do it. And it will fund young people that we work with that would like to become teachers to do it. So, yeah, we're really like trying to make an effort to sort of change change how sort of yoga looks in in the areas we work
0: I'm curious what what gave you such a heart for this work what was there something in your background or when you grew up that sort of draws you to working with youth at risk
2: when I first started there wasn't like I was just I was quite like carefree I didn't really think too much about things I just did something and I enjoyed it and but yeah, but later on down the line, as I got older, I realized I, I experienced quite a lot of trauma growing up.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think as I got older, older, I realized that was the fuel behind what I wanted to do. Um, I think when I was younger, like in, in school, certainly after I'd been through this, this these different traumatic events... I, you know, the consequence was I was getting out in trouble at school, getting excluded, yeah. you know, I got you know, getting arrested and involved in drugs and things like that. And I didn't feel supported at the time, you know. I didn't mm. didn't really feel supported at home and didn't feel supported, you know, in the in the you know, school and places like that. So I think it made me realise that that there wasn't enough out there for young people. Um mm-hmm and and yeah and 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 then just like as I got did the work more like I just like young people just enrich like that you know I'm not I'm not like obviously I have a hopefully have a positive impact on their life but they also have a positive impact on my life and it's that mutual thing Mm
3: -hmm. so
2: you know all the people that work in our projects like everybody enriches each other's lives and it's been one of those things like it's just like anything now the more we do it and we more we build the both gloves not guns and urban yogis the more it just becomes like this thing that i'm just more driven to like make huge and support more young people and get more people involved Mm -hmm. um but yeah but no answering your question it's definitely my own experiences you know as i got Mm -hmm. older i realized that was that was what sort of drove me to to really be passionate about it
1: I've, i've i was going through your your ig and there's a wonderful photo that you put up of, uh, grandpa Eckett
3: <laughs>
1: and, uh, you had this quote there where you, he, um, oh, I don't remember the quote off the top of my head, but it was something about, um, I, I'm going to start, I started doing yoga again and pretty much I'm hoping I can get my head at my own arse again,
3: Yeah, <laughs> something like that, or maybe it's kicking <laughs>
1: my arse. I don't, I don't remember, but it was a, I wonder if you could tell us more about him because he's, there's this wonderful photo of him and he looks real smart and he looks like maybe he's a diplomat and he's, he's studying yoga in Oman. And so I'm trying to figure out how y- you went from your grandpa Eckett, who, who looks posh, to growing up in a kind of a, a, a trauma-informed uh, childhood
2: yeah so so first my granddad worked he worked for the un in, within av- aviation um he uh very very funny character um as you like as you saw in that post that was like that was quite sort of um censored for what he sort of would say
3: <laughs> <laughs> so he was quite a
2: character um and definitely you would not think he did yoga if you ever met him but um but yeah basically he uh he was working away and I think when he was in Amman, like one of his colleagues like introduced him to yoga and then he bought, um, Richard Hittleman's or yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like a 28 day yoga thing.
3: That's right.
2: Yeah. And he basically just did it all his life. Like he just did it every day. And then he, he has quite like- a
0: long time ago though. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did it for like 40 years, I think. Um, <laughs> And he just stuck to that one book as well, which is so funny. Like he never went to classes or anything like that. He just had this one book. And uh, (laughs) yeah. And uh, anyway, so like he, he sort of, he had done yoga for this period of time. And then he had, he had quite a lot of health issues, which were lung related. So he had COPD. I think he had, he caught TB when he was working away once he had pneumonia. So his lungs were pretty like messed up. And Mm -hmm. He he always swore by it that yoga. If he hadn't have done yoga, he'd be dead. So like he was, you know, and he lived to eighty six. Um, but yeah, no, he was, he was brilliant, real character, and, and yeah, definitely one of the probably one of the reasons as well I ended up doing yoga. Like there was a few reasons why, but he was he was definitely one of them. And what was quite nice as well is um, before he died last year. About three or four months before he started doing yoga again, because he hadn't done it for a while. And he sort of said that I'd, you know, I'd send him like pictures every now and then of of me doing yoga, or like I'd send him like a there was a few articles that came out about the project and he said it sort of inspired him to start again, which was nice. Yeah. And on the morning that he died, actually, he uh he went downstairs and had his breakfast, went upstairs and and did his yoga and then went to sleep and and that was it. But um Wow. So yeah but no that's the way hard. to go
3: man but yeah, yeah.
2: Man, no like so my so he came from quite a working class background to be honest and um, i think like yeah he just he just got him you know worked worked hard and got, got himself the, the job and, and a good job and
1: yeah it's just a good looking suit yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> but he really quite, fit quite the part quite a good looking guy as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's but, what um, i
1: thought i was like huh that's a this yeah
2: yeah but um smart yeah, but no, um, no, he's great. I can't remember what the other part of your question was.
1: Well, I don't und- I, if So if he's not a diplomat, and even though he looks smart, you guys look like twinsies, to be honest.
3: Yeah.
1: And, um, good-looking young man, um, but if he's working class, and then what was was it? His I mean, I, it has to be his son who's your father.
2: Yeah, so um so my dad is yeah, his son his son, he's he was my dad was an artist. He's um is it building now? <laughs> no, no, he's, he's, yeah, he's yeah, yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> but yeah, I didn't so I didn't actually sort of know uh who my dad like I didn't meet my my real dad until I was like twelve. Or well, no, it was back Should. ten or eleven. Yeah, so yeah. um so yeah, so my dad, and then my mum, she's she's a dental nurse and sort of lives in the southwest of England, and then my yeah, step that's... my stepdad, who I sort of grew up, grew up thinking was my dad, he's um he's down in the southwest of England as well. He's a fisherman.
1: Yeah.
3: So, okay.
2: Tough. So yeah, there was quite. I won't go into like loads of detail about stuff just because it's um, you know, my family might listen to this and things like that. Yeah. But there's, <laughs> For sure. there's there was yeah there's a lot of like stuff that happened when I was younger that, that, you know, wasn't particularly great and obviously right. had its effects mm-hmm. on me, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things in that like your, your sort of past sort of helps you shape you, who you are and, and what you do. And I probably maybe wouldn't have ended up doing what I do now if I hadn't have been through exactly. all that shit, but yeah,
3: yeah.
2: it's all good. amazing.
1: Yeah. The, um, I kind of started to realize as a young man that all of my interactions were um inhibited by the trauma and the more i did yoga the more i realized that it was like this was going to help me actually have conversations Mm. and in a way that i wasn't going to be hamstrung by um shame and self-doubt and uh, paranoia that i was being disrespected in some way which is still you know a constant struggle just like you know, arguing with harmony over the dog. You know, it's like, <laughs> am I being is my is my self-esteem being disrespected in some way? Do I have I have to kind of like chew on it? Like how can I get out of this conversation without hurting people? You know? And it's 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 a kind of um that pattern's always there, but now we have these tools where we can like take a breath, try and figure out who's actually doing the talking inside our heads mm. and like, well, what are they really trying to say to me? And what's really important here is, you know, love mm. between me and other people.
3: Mm.
1: And so um, I, I just, uh, I, it's fantastic that you're, that you're able to do this work and to come out of it and to, to start Kind of reckoning with yourself, and then understand and be passionate about doing that for as many other kids as as you can. Which mm-hmm. is, I think, you know, where I was when I was doing work with Urban Yogis and in, in California. I was like, this is this is some way to spread this knowledge. This this I remember thinking about it. It's like this is you know, for me growing up um, underserved in. Louisiana and being broke as toast. I don't know if that's an expression. i just that made it up. But like having you know dry um,
0: as toast. <laughs>
1: uh, but like having access to yoga was a, was really fucking privileged. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Though I I would never have described myself as being privileged, but somehow I was able to.
0: It was on public television
1: fucking privilege was What a privilege that was <laughs> that it was on public access you know so um but I really wanted to make make that opportunity available to other kids
0: what what drew, drew you into the practice of yoga so you was it after you started gloves not guns
2: yeah so I, no it was before actually it was about a year before so I've been doing yoga for about six years um so there was a few things there was So there was obviously my granddad, um, Mm -hmm. but there was, at the time I was working in West London and I was doing um, sort of gangs intervention work. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: I just remember I was just, I was like stressed and just, you know, like what you, like burnout basically. I just felt, I felt knackered. And um, I was leaving work one evening and I walked past a hot yoga studio and it said like it had, um, I don't know, 30 quid for like all you can do yoga for a month. And I was like, Uh, I was like, boom, I'm going to try it. And I went in um, and yeah, I did it. And just like the first session, I was just like, wow, this is, it was, it was obviously, it was really tough. Like it was like some sort of like power yoga or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just remember like lying in Shavasana at the end and I was just, just felt so relaxed. And then when I left, the um the studio it was quite like a cold you know london evening and i just felt like i just felt so good
3: mm. and then i just
2: <clears throat> i kept back kept going i sort of i probably went like every day for that 30 days um <laughs> yeah. and then i and then i just started going to loads of like um i've kept finding studios that had the 30 pound offer <laughs> and I, just, perfect. I just kept using that up until until it was uh until i i couldn't find any more yoga studios <laughs> um
3: then you um, gotta
0: find all the karma yoga classes <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: and then and then i just started doing all the online stuff so i started yeah. like you know doing like the sort of you know the like patrick beach and all those types of people and and mm-hmm. just you know and, and i just really enjoyed it i loved it and so that was you know that was one of the reason it was like a, a sort of to to help my mental health a little bit and then mm-hmm. the other thing like in a more sort of um Like I was was at the gym once and my wife's um, dad's best friend was there and he's like a 60-year-old guy Mm -hmm. and uh, I did a bit of training with him and then I stretched with him at the end and he's like, he's stretched and done yoga all his life and he was getting into like these crazy positions (laughs) and I was as stiff as anything, couldn't do anything and, and... he was like, you know, you need to start stretching more and doing this, and and so yeah, so it was it was more of like a embarrassment thing that as well. I was just like, it was like a shame. I was like, shit, I need to like, yeah, because you know, I don't know what, like, I I played sport most of my life, and yeah. with sport, you know, I'd always just like stretch my quads out, do a couple of hamstring stretches, and then just get yeah. straight into it. There was never like anything yeah. that would really sort of work on you know lengthening the muscles and things like that. So. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah so
2: there was a few things but um ultimately like once I started I was just like I loved it and uh yeah and then and then I think I was at gloves not guns and uh I just started introducing it sort of informally into the sessions sometimes and mm-hmm. and you know I just saw the benefit of it and then also like on the, the other side of my own practice like I just started seeing the benefit it was having like on my mental health and just mm. generally just how I felt. Um, and I went and did, uh, I did a teacher training, a really shitty 200-hour teacher training with something like, it was called like Bend It Like Buddha or something terrible. <laughs>
0: um,
2: That's
0: so like uh, English, was, honestly, English wordplay.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I, I, did, I did that because I wanted to basically teach it to young people. Um, yeah. And then on that, on that, um, training, I did actually meet an amazing teacher called Mattia, who, um, Italian guy who sort of lives between Italy and Mysore, uh, just like the most amazing teacher. Anyway, he introduced me to Ashtanga and then, Mm -hmm. and then that was it. I was like, I was addicted and I I came home and I was like, I was obsessed with it. And my wife said, you, you've become a a twat or something like that. See,
1: a- I, when I was married to an Essex girl, I had to forbade her from using the word twat around my mom. I said, you cannot, <laughs> no, you can't use, you can't say twat around, she would call everything a twat. You know, Anytime anyone was in the least spit, you know, yeah. had the least self-regard, like, oh, what a twat.
3: Yeah.
2: I, and I, I think I, I was a bit of an idiot. I'd, I came home from it. I was obviously, you know, really like. It obviously had a massive impact on me doing the Ash, the Ashtanga practice, and um, there, was, <laughs> there was something much deeper with with that compared to what I'd done so far. Um, mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, waking up, turning on the heating at six in the at six in the morning, practicing. You know, if if the kids came in, I'd be really upset, and and I was just like, it was it was so. yeah and then after like a month I'd loosened up a bit and she's like and I realized like I can't you know I'm a dad I've got all these other (laughs) priorities I can't just you know have every two hours every morning doing yoga you know right Um, yeah
0: yeah we all wish we could have two hours every morning doing (laughs) yoga
1: seven hours seven (laughs) we got to seven four Four was good seven was good (laughs) Yeah, because you get to yeah. sit in, you could do your pranayama and your chanting. and It's like <laughs> seven, all your pre-stretches, oh, and the two and a half hours of actually doing the fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah, it's seven. Did you grow up doing uh like boxing, like putting the gloves on? Were you doing martial arts at all?
2: Not really. I've always like messed around with a bit of boxing. So I, you know, I um when I lived back home in Devon, I used to go to a boxing club. And, and do a little bit of training, and you know I do a bit of sparring and that was it and and again when I was in London, the same sort of went down to Adams boxing club um, but no it was I enjoyed it, but it was something i never i never never really got hooked like hooked on it i like like I say I enjoyed the training of it but but no and then I started jujitsu about three years ago and then oh. I, that now I'm hooked on my you know and that I love it
1: um we should introduce it, you to our our friend michael Baidu. he's yeah, in new york he's I, a good friend
2: I, I, I chat to him every now and then actually yeah. Yeah, oh you and, um, do yeah oh Instagram. good yeah he's so funny that guy
1: yeah he's a good yeah. Um, but yeah the
2: so yoga he, he's, combo. A, he's
1: a jiu-jitsu master yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i think I don't, yeah <laughs> yeah and so you're um are you doing that now i don't know you have a blue belt now you i saw you pretty excited about it what what <laughs> what, uh, form is that?
2: Yeah. So I got my blue belt in September. I'd, um, so, so basically it's the next belt after white. So I I was a white belt for about two years. Um, and then I competed at the British open last September and I I won it like in my sort of weight category. And then my, um, yeah, my coach then gave me my blue belt. So, uh, yeah, so it goes. It goes white, blue, purple, brown, black, um, and I think, and it, that's it jiu-jitsu. A, yeah, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay. So it's sort of like grappling and and then yeah. submitting each other. Yeah.
1: yeah, I like I like making harmony submit to me.
0: <laughs> and yeah. grappling—is that I, what you're calling I, it now? <laughs>
1: grappling. Yeah, do a fair bit of grappling. Yeah, that's sort of a, um, a preamble.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's the grappling.
2: Oh god, <laughs> I've got a feeling Harmony wins that one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, don't know.
1: I feel like she lets me win, to be honest.
0: So, how did you meet Scott Johnson?
2: So, how did I meet Scott? So, so basically, I'd, I when I when I was uh, had my little like addiction to Ashtanga phase. Yeah, I. Like I um, that. i didn't really like going to yoga classes i just Mm like practicing by myself i was never really and uh how did you know what to practice though so i learned from the guy when i went and did my teacher training Mm -hmm. and then i just i've got like this little old um like piece of paper that Iyengar had with all the all the postures for for the primary series and then i bought that um Oh, what's that brilliant book? Oh, I can't remember. It's got it's it's so like it's really good for primary and intermediate. And I just used that. Um, David Swenson's practice manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, the little stick figures are drawn. It's
0: John Scott. They're drawn probably. by
1: John Scott, if, okay. who was, who made those when he was done. Well, yeah. he was probably in London when he made them, but he was the one that was teaching in Penzance.
2: Okay, he was yeah, a graphic
1: yeah. designer before he went into yoga.
2: So I'd um. Yeah so I basically I where I'm living I was I'm still living in Croydon and I I met a guy called Andy Gill who was one of um Scott's teachers at Stillpoint
3: uh-huh. and I would
2: go and see Andy once a month just for a one to one just to check that I'm like practicing correctly and he would sort of give me like alternative postures for the ones that I couldn't do and things like that right.
3: Yeah good
2: and then he said to me to like oh you know come come up to like the Mysore so it was Scott's. So I went up and yeah, and then went for a, a coffee with Scott after class and told him what I was doing. He sort of said about urban yogis. And funny enough, um, Eddie was already messaging me on Instagram because we'd set up a project called Box Flow Yoga at Gloves and Guns. Box Huggins.
3: Flow
1: Yoga. Okay. And
2: the idea was because a lot of the young people that we work with would not want to do yoga if I said, let's do yoga.
1: Um, but if you do it on top of a box, they were okay with exactly, it.
2: Exactly, that's what we thought. Oh,
1: yeah, right, okay.
2: So the idea is to mix a bit of boxing and yoga together and oh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully sort of like yeah. get, you know, hook them into it. Um, and I think Eddie had sort of seen what we were doing and said, you know, it looks really good and blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, and anyway, then I got chatting to Scott and he obviously said about the Urban Yogis Project. Um, yeah. And then further down the line, we me and Adam decided we really wanted to sort of start to develop our yoga part of our organization. Mm-hmm. And instead of developing it under box flow yoga, we thought it would make sense to do it under urban yoga. So
3: yeah.
2: I met with Eddie when he was in London and met with Scott and Helen McCabe, um, had a really good meeting. And then, yeah, and then February 2000 and. Well, a couple of years ago what was it 2019 hmm. no, 2000 sorry um my maths isn't really good as you can tell um <laughs> we me and adam took it over and and sort of have developed it since then oh. um, cool. so scott's yeah so i met scott through that and you know still sort of see scott and he was he's involved in the project up until a couple of months ago so he was um sort of doing some mentoring with young people and and delivering some classes and that but um but yeah he's he's sort of got to prioritize some other work at the moment and things like that so he's sort of moved on from it but um we still got Helen McCabe involved which is brilliant Helen was sort of the original um sort of founder of the UK version with Scott yeah
1: Yeah. I'd I'd say that and i really loved and treasured that that work with urban yogis and the 10 years that i spent in education were you know incredibly uh, impactful for me uh it's still what strikes me and, and i'm very interested to hear your perspective that's it's, it's always about funding and and you need funding to get that reach and you get reach and it inspires more funding and then there's that issue and then on the other side, it's the burnout from the constant reach and trying to get more reach and overextending yourself. And I just wanted to know how how you manage that. How do you manage? Because it's a bit, it's an, it's a good get getting you know urban yogis and maybe Deepak Chopra involved with you guys. But I just want to know you know how are you how are you surviving over there? Because that's that's always the question and the hardship of being a, a nonprofit and working with, yeah. with kids.
2: Um so my my experiences of running my first organization, Urban Yo um, sorry, uh YSurf, obviously taught me a lot. And I think i I realized from from being in a lot of meetings with charities and things like that that funding was always a thing. Yeah. So me and Adam have taken a very different approach to how we run our organizations, and we we take a very much like a business approach to it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We don't just rely on funding. We get a lot of private revenue in, so our services you know go out to councils, um, so for instance, gloves not guns, we provide um, education and employment support to one South London borough. We do a lot of specialist gangs intervention and mentoring to other boroughs, so they pay for our services um, and we've got that we've got that working really well, so you know when we originally started the organization it was probably like 90% funding 10% private revenue we're
3: mm-hmm. probably
2: like 50/50 50, 50 now um, mm-hmm. and the private revenue is very like sustainable it's 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 a lot of long term contracts um, mm-hmm. and we're always you know we're always monitoring and evaluating and showing the impact of our work and producing annual reports and things like that and We've got you know support with marketing and things like that, so we're constantly going out to boroughs and 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 businesses to get them to you know support us and and invest in what we're doing. Um, one thing in the last couple of years really been sort of working on how we work with corporates. So at the moment we're in talks with some pretty big like financial organisations and banks. Um, we've got a three year partnership with Nike, which obviously. Thanks. Gives us financial support and you know support with equipment. Gives um, opportunities to young the, people.
1: The shoe company. Yeah. Nike. Oh, Nike. Nike. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understood. Yeah, it was just it was
3: a, yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. For going back to your question, I think it's just being having lots of different approach like approaches and and routes to how money comes into the organization.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: um and and also like constantly adapting our models to fit with whatever the funding is at the time you know mm-hmm. a few years ago most of the funding was related around knife crime because yeah well knife crime still a huge problem but it was a it, it was a, a, a big of press. sort of yeah it was in the press a lot and then mm-hmm. covid happens and suddenly knife crime hey. wasn't a problem even though lots of young people were still getting <laughs> you know it's seriously hurt <laughs> um, but they wanted money towards covid projects so we obviously yeah. had to adapt on our the way we went for funding and what we did at that time um so yeah and i think like we've we've we've, we've been quite successful with it we you know every year mm-hmm. we sort of double the income of what we've brought in for the organizations and, huh. I and think bringing
0: like, in funding is like a lot of writing grants and yeah knowing like Having sort of your finger on the pulse of what funds are available, what government funds are out there, yeah is exactly
2: that, yeah but, um, and then, in relation to in regards to to your other question um around burnout
1: because th- that that person that writes all the grants is fucking burning out
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's me me and Adam most of the time um, yeah, I think. I think it comes back to what I was saying like a while ago about making sure that as a team, we're compassionate and supportive to each other so that, you know, we have regular team meetings, we have supervision. We make sure that there's, you know, lots of sort of nice things that we do as a team together to look after each other. Um, You know, we, all of our, all our practitioners have like, gone through like trauma informed training and things like that so we so we're really like aware of of when like a staff member's maybe not feeling 100 percent or
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know any of us are, are you know not feeling great um so i think it's around culture like when you work in a council like a london council you know the the council will like will just work you so hard and you know if you look at the state of like social care in england social workers are, are constantly changing jobs constantly mm-hmm. like, on burnout mm-hmm. because their caseloads are ridiculous they're being worked too hard yeah um the great thing about the way we're not you know a statutory organization so we can make sure that we you know aren't working our our workers too hard <laughs> we're making sure we're constantly saying look you know i've got a young person i'd like to allocate you to support with mentoring can you do it you know and we yeah. we sort of we've built trust with our staff. So if they, if they can't, they say, no, Ben, I, I'm, you know, I've got too much on at the moment. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, it does happen still, like, you know, when you've got, when you're working with a young person and it's, uh, there's, you know, you've got an emotional attachment to them and, and something serious has happened to them or, you know, it's, it's hard to avoid sometimes. Um, but i think as an organisation we're doing we're doing well with it we don't tend to get mm-hmm. people burning out too much
1: i had really, a, a couple of young young women working in a school for me and they weren't taking their breaks they weren't taking their lunch breaks they were working after school and the principal was you know needed help and just kept piling on more and more work on onto the young ladies pretty much how every school teacher that's their existence you know that's how they're living And so I secured funding to get them a a third, a third partner, a third young lady to work with them to try and reduce the workload. And then it was just exactly the same. Then she was working (laughs) sixty hours a week with the other two. It was like this is sometimes you know encouraging people to pull themselves back from the brink is also hard because they're they're pushing themselves to burn out as, Mm. as well.
2: And that's where good supervision, you know, comes mm-hmm. in handy. Um, when you've got a line manager that is is really reviewing the, your work that you're doing and and checking in on your mental health and you know looking at sort of um, little indicators where you know like that that person is starting to go down that slippery road to, to burning out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that just comes yeah with building a, a, a good culture within your organisation and, and having supportive, you know, line management. And I suppose for me and Adam, because we, I suppose we don't have anyone that's managing us, that's that's where, you know, using your tools like yoga or boxing or jiu-jitsu or time with your family and things like that, you just, it's just making that time, isn't it, to make sure you look after yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's where yoga is like really had a good impact on my, in my life is um, I know it's something that I can go and do and it it will make me feel a bit better in that, in that moment. And, you know, maybe sort of relieve a little bit of stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. I have a a quote (laughs) here that you, you put that I really liked. I wanted to know if you could talk about it. A yoga that doesn't hold social justice at its heart is not a complete or true yoga. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about maybe where that quote came from or what it means to you.
2: Yeah. So I'm currently doing my 500 hours teacher training with, um, with East London school of yoga, Stuart, Stuart Gilchrist. Um, Mm -hmm. And Part of my my essay that I'm having to do at the moment is to do with, and I'm not even going to be able to pronounce this word properly because it's Sanskrit and I'm shit at Sanskrit. But it's like or Satyagraha or something. Satyagraha. Yeah, that's the one. That's
3: the one. Yeah.
2: And uh, yeah, anyway, I was like, sort of, obviously, looking into the philosophy and everything, and and um, I found this quote on. Uh, the accessible yoga podcast it was like a mm-hmm. an article that that guy had written um and it just like really resonated with me um for me it was for me like yoga is something that is very accessible or should be very accessible it's you know you don't need anything to do it
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it's you know it can have a massive positive impact on on you know how you walk through life and how you treat others, and you know a lot of the philosophies behind the, uh, you know, the himza and things like that are very, you know, very positive and can can teach like young people and, and adults, everybody. <laughs> a few politicians could do with learning about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know about how how to sort of treat people. um
3: Yeah.
2: And. And yeah, just like from my perspective, it was always like, I think it, you know, it, it it can be used to really like help communities and, and people that, you know, uh, uh, don't like the word underprivileged, but you know what I mean? Like, you know,
1: mm-hmm. don't have, a, we, we would always say underserved rather than other under, underprivileged. Yeah, yeah.
2: Nice. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, just for the same reasons, like who wants to be
2: underprivileged, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I just like when I look at yoga. Like I'm not obviously, I've not done it for like a really long time, and I'm not particularly like, um, I'm not like ingrained in a yoga community. I'm a bit of an outsider um, mm-hmm. in lots of ways. I just find it when I when I look at it, and when I go to certain things like even like my teacher training that I'm doing at the moment. It's very like people are very selfish and self-obsessed and Mm. and just not very. And this is obviously I'm just talking about. I'm not like generically. I know there's lots of amazing people that do yoga, but (laughs) there's a real like shitty culture within it as well that I just don't like. And it's very elitist. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like you know, it's people very privileged people like all wearing very expensive clothing you know, all eating very expensive vegan food after and things like that. And it just sort of like, yeah, it's just something that I, I just, I really don't like. And I think when I use that quote, I sort of feel like we should, we should be like using yoga to do more in society and help people.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: If that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Definitely. I think, I mean, I think it, highlights that yoga is a philosophy of action Mm. and that you know unless you're acting out the principles of ahimsa not just you know eating vegan food yeah yeah. (laughs) and like (laughs) trying not to I don't know squish ants or something on the ground but (laughs) but like actually looking at all the harmful things that are happening in society and not just the ways that that like you personally are enacting harm, but the yoga sutras talk about, you know, if you're passively observing harm and doing nothing, it's a type of harm that you're Mm -hmm. also involved in, Mm -hmm. not just if you're the one committing harm, or even if you're thinking about harm, it's also a type of harm. And so, um, you know, Ahimsa being so that foundational yama or that foundational principle of yoga practice of all the eight limbs of yoga whether it's asana or pranayama or dhyana meditation or whatever they all have to have the ahimsa at the heart of it that non-harming principle which is about really like actively proactively being peace in the world you know creating peace or you know positive experiences for people and beings rather than harmful ones. Um, And I think that that is the heart of, of the practice. And it's not about like navel gazing or becoming (laughs) self-obsessed, you know, which I think to your point often happens. Right. And, and it's easy to happen because, because it makes you feel good the practice. And so like you sort of, experienced, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to do it and you want to do it in a certain way so that you can have a certain experience, but you know, it can't always happen that way. And that's actually kind of not the point of it. The point of it isn't to give you that, that experience. The point of it is to like kind of train your mind and your body in a certain discipline so that you can then take that experience out into the world and help others
2: no exactly
0: I don't know that's sort of how I feel about it you know if you're yelling at your kids because you don't have the time and space to do your yoga practice it's not much of a yoga practice at that point
2: yeah and it was like I was I was at, I was on the course recently and um and uh the the teacher Stuart has asked everyone in the in the program to he'd like them to donate the two and volunteer 20 hours of their time to like to a community initiative and to help people which I think is a brilliant brilliant suggestion yeah
0: yeah I think there's like I mean and and sometimes you know for those people too maybe they really are maxed out like emotionally mentally yeah. you know that it's it's really hard to you know if you're if you're a mom and you're fitting in your yoga practice and you're you know, working and balancing family and doing all of that. And maybe you're doing a teacher training on the side, you know, saying, okay, you need to volunteer 20 hours of work is like, uh, I'm maxed out. I don't have any more time or energy or compassion to give at this point, but yeah, we're all at different stages in the journey. And, and it's not to say that, you know, it's, it's uh linear either, right? Like at certain times in your life, you have a lot of energy and time perhaps to like yeah. really focus on community and be focused and directed. And maybe at other times you have less of that. And you have to like, kind of turn inward and focus on yourself. But, but I definitely understand the, the, frustration when your heart is so open and like directed towards helping others in community and creating social change that it's um it's hard to understand how other people you know don't have that same vision for their practice
3: (laughs) (laughs)
1: you know there's there's another um thing i want to ask you about I, i i don't mean to give you a hard time. I'm just, I'm just kind of chewing on it. Um, cause sometimes I like to go to bed at night watching like the greatest knockouts and in, in boxing history, you know, like I'll just sit up and I'll, I'll watch Deontay Wilder just beat the shit out of somebody and really enjoy that. And I, under, I understand that there's a kind of contradiction there for a professional <laughs> y- yogi to indulge in the enjoyment of f- physical violence, you know, but it's, you know, it's kind of part of me at this point. Um, <laughs> and so, but I'm—I just to, to put that out there. And then I—I want to also um, mention a, a, a. Are you trying a,
0: to reconcile boxing and yoga?
1: Sure. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm kind of okay. introducing the concept. You know, I—I <laughs> I, um, I did a partnership with a boxing teacher at a at a Title One school in Milwaukee, and I would come in and, and we would teach his. He had a group of young men that he was. Um, he was training and nurturing and trying to create. It was like the um, Black L- Latino Young Men's Association at that school. And and he was just trying to get them to learn how to tie ties, but also be regulated. And one of the things that we could really agree on, he and I, and that we really saw eye to eye on was the breath. And he said, there's no better tool for a boxer than mastering his breath or her breath, because Ooh. that's going to keep you regulated so you don't fight angry and you don't fight with violence but you fight as a tactician as a and as a chess master and like so like floyd mayweather for example is not like a a hard hitter he's a he's a genius
3: yeah
1: at at tactics and defense and not getting hit and then you know getting points Uh, i wonder if you could um does that at all resonate with you that kind of where that violence kind of sits. I mean at one point you need an, an entry for kids who are incarcerated. How are you gonna get them interested in in self-regulation? Well their boxing is, is a way to do that because that, that's gonna that's gonna appeal.
2: Yeah so I think um so are you we're we talking about like how we sort of can teach Breath work through sort of the martial arts or the benefit of that, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: yeah. Um, So, firstly, we can't teach boxing in prisons; just uh, they don't they don't allow that over here. Um, I mean, not allowed to teach any sort of um, any like martial arts or anything like that. Right. Um, Yeah, I think like what worked really well when we when we sort of did mix boxing and yoga together was was we would focus right at the start of a session we'd get the young people to lie down and we'd just do like a a grounding practice just get them to concentrate on breathing and then they would go to the we do we do like um some sort of like gentle stretches lying on the floor and 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 then we'd get them to get up and and get on the bags and they would we'd do like a tabata style thing you know the 20 seconds on 10 seconds off the bag and then come back and And see how they felt, and the difference that they they would feel, and they could recognize um, how when they felt angry in you know, in other situations, so when they're in school, how their breathing can change
3: mm-hmm.
2: um so then we got them to try and focus on maybe using like simple techniques like you know the the square breathing and things like that for when they do when they are in those situations where maybe there's a conflict or they're feeling anxious. How they can sort of use that breath work to help calm themselves down and get them back into sort of a more calmer state. So, I suppose essentially getting them to, you know, calm down their nervous system through through the breath work is what. So, could, could that, you
1: describe that square technique for our listeners?
2: So that's the so it's breathing in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds. And then um, hold for four seconds again. Breath out. Oh, well,
1: that's just pure pranayama,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: They
1: um,
2: call it the
0: samavritti pranayama.
2: Nice.
1: Yeah. Same. Same. Same wave same. pranayama. And
2: we've used um, <laughs> Eddie's app actually, the Breathing app, which is really mm-hmm. good. So like, we have got yeah. you know we've used that in sessions. Um, I got my wife to use that, actually when when she was having the baby. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah so we definitely really try to link a lot of like breath work into into our sessions um and you know i i even know from my own experience like in jiu-jitsu when i'm in when someone's got me in like a quite uncomfortable position if i can control my breathing i'm much calmer and i can i can start to think right what do i need to do to get out of this Mm -hmm. um if i didn't have that 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 skill that I've learned from yoga and when I roll with people actually that don't know that, you know, they'll be in that position and they'll be breathing really fast and quick and they won't quite know what to do. And it definitely, it gives you that control. Um, Mm -hmm. I can even like think about, you know, when a footballer steps up to take a penalty, you know, they always, always, if you watch it, they're, they're breathing, they take a big breath, breath out, go up, hit the ball um yeah. so there's I talked there, about
1: Kevin Durant doing a, a free throw like the first thing he does is takes deep breath yeah, yeah every time
2: so we're definitely trying to link that into our sessions you know um and the work that I do in prisons you know those young people are constantly living in fight or flight mode mm, you know yeah. the nervous system all over the place so soon as they get into the sessions they're lying down on the mats and we just breathe it and then we get up and we do some, you know, we do some, uh, some like physical yoga practice. And then at the end, again, lying down, breathing. Um, and they love the breathing. It was funny. Like the first time I went into prison, I thought, because I'm not allowed to teach them boxing or anything like that. I thought, how am I going to sell yoga to this group of young people? I had like 15 young lads, um, you know, like I think like, two of them had done yoga before like at primary school and they're all like 16 17 now so I thought oh, I'm gonna have to like mix in a bit of fitness at first just to get them you know get them sort of settled and and hopefully sort of break you know a bit of a a, a barrier with it and uh straight away they were like oh can we do some of that um some of that breathing and meditation stuff <laughs> and I was yeah. like Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I want you to do. Um, <laughs> that's
0: so good.
1: And it's, just,
2: it's, it's 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 you know, I think it's like the part that they enjoy the most to be honest. Like it know? just
1: feels better.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's the stuff that's really good for them, but it's um it's just helping them to be able to do it in a way where they don't feel shame and embarrassed about doing it. Yeah. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, and that's where that trauma sort of informed approach goes, where we have to really like think about where, when I'm teaching them where their positions, you know, what, what position they're in, like, you know, they don't necessarily all want to lie down in Shavasana. Some of them might sit against the wall. Some right. of them might, might want to not, not want to shut their eyes. So they might just put their hands over right. their heads.
1: They may not want to sit with their backs to the door.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like so that. it's, um,
1: yeah. Uh, we could never, um, well we would also we would make sure never to ever do downward dog cuz that's such a like a sexually submissive position so we had to be really we were always really careful about I that I
2: never one. do downward dog with with any of them in there yeah like yeah cuz I did um I did some trauma informed training through prison yoga project through um mm-hmm. is it James James Fox's organization yeah um and within that train, it was brilliant. It just gave, you know, obviously they've been doing teaching yoga in prisons for like 20, 30 years. And it just gave all that information around, you know, like things like, you know, the, the language and the positions and yeah. Uh, so we just tend to be like, go into high plank rather than down right. the dog. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to sort of change, change the language a little bit. And, yeah. and really, Do really you ever do
1: any, emotions. uh, sh- uh, shaking of the limbs?
2: No, I don't actually um yeah why did you say that?
1: We had a we had someone who did um uh the yoga what's um Spiros and Erica Erica the the her organization mm, Never mind. I
0: forget.
1: They they were teaching um elementary school girls who were incarcerated like 12 and 13 14 year olds is what I mean. Yeah, secondary school girls incarcerated. And uh they had they had looked at the work of um, Robert Sapolsky who had talked about why zebras don't get ulcers, even though. um, They're
0: stressed
1: out all the time. I'll I'll do do it with you. How long do you think zebras live? I don't know, 20 years. That's right. Yeah. 20, 30 years. And every day someone's trying to kill them. And yet they don't get ulcers. They don't get anxiety, uh, immunodeficient diseases. And the reason they don't is that every time that they get attacked, they do this thing. It's a Taylor Swift song. Do you know the song? I I don't know. Go on. (laughs) Shake it off. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So every (laughs) time they get attacked and someone tries to eat them, they go off and they, they shake, they shake their limbs and they shake it off and it rebalances their nervous system.
0: The doggies and do it too. The doggies
1: do it too, yeah. And, and what, we, what we started discovering is that when we were doing it with our kids and then we started doing it with the teachers, is that we would just do a hand shaking exercise for, you can actually hear that on the radio, for like 15 <laughs> seconds to 30 seconds and it's profound, like holy fuck, do I feel relaxed really? after shaking my hands. Just shaking my hands ten seconds is like you can feel how you started from before to after. It's like having a good shake can really shake the fucking jitters out of you. Yeah. yeah. Which is I, great when you're I being like attacked all the time in prison. Yeah, yeah. You know?
2: <laughs> shake, it <laughs> off. shake it off. Shake it off. All right, I, I'll mm. give that one a go. Yeah, yeah. why
0: not? Yeah. <laughs> do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. <laughs>
3: That's
1: what it's all about. Uh, I saw some really cool photos that you did um, with your kids. Like you're doing yoga with your kids now.
2: Did oh, they're like they they it? It? in Cali, yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> love it. They absolutely love it. So they, yeah, whenever I'm doing it, they, they sort of get involved. and. um yeah, no, it's funny. They've both got their own little mat now that they sort of pull out and enjoy me. That's um, awesome. And there, there's a really great sort of YouTube uh, class called Cosmic Kids or something like that. Yeah, I yeah. know that. And
0: they tell the stories and they yeah. do all the different postures. Yeah, I love that She's lady. Brilliant.
2: She's awesome. Yeah, so they they do that, and yeah, no, it's nice. And uh, yeah, like like I said, you know, once I got over that sort of period of being a bit selfish with my practice <laughs> and you know when the girls come and join me now I just love it it's great it's good you know it's uh um. yeah no they love it it's such
0: a good skill for kids to develop at a young age you know even my son who has like zero interest in practicing yoga but because he's around it his whole life and like watches other people do it and watches us do it and um,
2: that was his dad. You know, story. when he's
0: stressed out, he'll sit in Lotus and like breathe. <laughs>
2: That's like How old
0: is it? <laughs> Or he like loves doing backbends. But like, he'll do t- backbends. Tell that story on. about
1: the dentist. That was so random. I think we've
0: told it before, but he had to go get a to- couple tooth- teeth pulled because um, they were uh, baby teeth. Baby teeth. And they're like not too uh, impacted, kind of. They weren't like coming out properly so he's gonna
1: get shots
0: yeah and he hates needles he hates yeah. shots or totally anything freaked out so i i had to park the car and i told him to run into the dentist and like check in he's 11 um and uh and so he went into the dentist and, and i came in like maybe a minute later two minutes later maximum and i like look and and um where's my kid i'm like did did a boy come in here to check in and she's like yeah he's just over there and he's just sitting in lotus breathing <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah that one belongs to me
2: <laughs> that's amazing <laughs>
0: yeah but he doesn't frequently actually if he's needs like a little refresher
2: yeah How did you meet? Doing that, actually she sort of like, sits down crosses her leg and close our eyes it's great
0: Yeah, and takes like some deep breaths. He's just like, you know, really focusing on his breathing.
1: That's the the, beautiful one. One first lesson we always did was um, this grounding breath. And we just have him just put a hand on your heart and just, and another hand on your belly Mm -hmm. and just feel your breath. Mm. And the kids really liked it because it it was like giving yourself a hug. And it's immediately very reassuring and just like listen to your breath take some breaths into your hands, you know, and just, um, it was really sweet to walk into a classroom and see a kid sitting there already doing it.
3: Yeah. That's great. I'm like, Oh,
1: yeah. How did, uh, how did you and your wife meet? does she, she do this work? Did, is she a boxer?
2: A boxer? <laughs> She's not a boxer, no. <laughs> um, so we met quite a long time ago it would have been about 12 or 13 years ago i met her in in, in brick lane in london uh, like, um, when we were out for drinks and we exchanged numbers and then nothing really happened like we just stayed friends like she was working she was working um as an air hostess at the time and i would sort of um hadn't been in london too long so i'd sort of moved home for a year and then came back up and um anyway it didn't work out at the time we just stayed friends like we lived quite far away from each other and then
3: mm-hmm.
2: it must have been about three years later I was I'd broken up with my girlfriend at the time and I noticed on Morgan's Instagram that her boyfriend no longer featured so um <laughs> <laughs> so I sent, I sent her a message and uh yeah and then we went out for some drinks and then the first night I got so drunk she had to take me home and put me to bed. Oh,
3: shit. Yeah.
2: And then the second oh, time we met, that happened again.
3: That's <laughs> brutal.
2: And then that was it. She's, yeah.
1: Fell in love. She was which, like, oh, I really ooh.
0: like putting this guy to bed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's for me.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So you... we've been together for nine years now and married for six or yeah six or seven she
0: still is she still a airline hostess
2: no no that was that was over a long time ago no she um she does sort of do similar work she works within um children's social care but she does like business support for them Mm -hmm. Um, and then yeah obviously supports me massively with with the business and 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 obviously like you know with our family and everything um yeah you yeah. said
1: um, Brick Lane. Is, is she? Uh, is her family from the the subcontinent, as they say, from Bangladesh? Or...
2: No, no, they're no, not. No, we're just out for drinks. No, her, uh, Morgan's <laughs> uh, <laughs> Morgan's dad is uh, from Barbados. So...
1: Barbados. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I was wondering about the yoga connection. I thought, I wonder if this comes together. Like her uncle is. A,
2: no, my her... no, my my great granddad was Indian though. Um oh. on my dad's side, yeah. So my great wow. granddad Incredible. was um from northern India and my great grand was Austrian Jewish and she <laughs> she sort of um you know came to London uh, during the war um and he was had moved to London. He was like a professional dancer.
3: Mm-hmm. Um wow
2: yeah, and they met in London, like and this was like obviously back when interracial couples weren't too common and she was like yeah. austrian jewish and he was um indian pakistani so it was like it would be pakistan now but um yeah it was from yeah, wow. muslim background but yeah so that's incredible
0: um, wow that's fantastic
2: yeah. yeah and then yeah more it, than, like
0: it came to you through like generations <laughs> generations dna is that, is that subtle it? imprints yeah that's amazing
2: yeah, no. It is. Do you think and,
0: that was also why your father sort of was drawn to, or your grandfather?
2: No, because it wasn't his side of the family. Okay, <laughs> the other <laughs> side, no, of the side of the family, of the family. Yeah. you have a both sides. <laughs> no, so it was my, it was my, um, it was my, it was my granddad. So it was my grandma who was married to my granddad. Yeah. Wow. So
3: That's her side okay. of the family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's
2: incredible. Wow. Yeah, and then Morgan's. Mm. Yeah, so Morgan's. Dad's from Barbados and Mum is from Sunderland. If you know where Sunderland, Sunderland. is, <laughs> yeah, not quite Barbados. No, <laughs> not quite. No. Uh, yeah. Wow. So no, there was no link there. But yeah, Morgan's Morgan's not really into yoga.
0: <laughs> she thinks it's for twats.
1: <laughs> well, it does do wonders for your muleabunda. Um,
0: <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm, I've really
1: enjoyed our, our conversation, and and I'm, I, I, I'd love to hear what your needs are and what your vision is for the organization going forward. And yeah, we have how, lots
0: of London, London listeners, UK listeners. Yeah, well, yeah. how
1: how could we? Help how
3: can people support you? Yeah
2: so well one way you can support us at the moment is we are going to be on the 27th of september this year we are going to be walking up there's a team of us from urban yogis are going to be hiking the three biggest mountains in the uk which won't be very big to you canadians (laughs) (laughs) it will be more like a a small hill
1: Um, yeah a hill yeah um,
2: (laughs) So it's called the Three Peaks Challenge. So we're doing the Three Peaks in 24 hours. And just to make it a bit more exciting, we're going to do 300 yoga postures on the Three Peaks. So we're going to do 100. (laughs) 100. Um, Good. So, yeah, so we're trying to raise money to run programs all over the UK, which will be aimed at supporting young people. And the programs will involve yoga, yoga, and empowerment and mental health workshops, but the focus of it is to support um, and build awareness to around sort of domestic violence and man, mental health issues. I think there was a there was a mass. I mean, there was a massive increase in d- domestic violence incidents during COVID. Um, right. I mean, it's already like you know the statistics are terrible anyway, but it got yeah. worse during that period of time. Same <laughs> so, in the states. Yeah. yeah so we want to really work with young females and boys um well all genders sorry um to support and educate around you know healthy relationships and and you know mm-hmm. empowering people and um delivering sort of sort of workshops around mental health and things like that so yeah so the link is on um my instagram Benekit Yoga, it's on the Urban Yogis Instagram. Um, it's a just giving page, so maybe if you guys can share that, that'd be amazing. But yeah, we're trying to Absolutely.
3: raise £10,000. For yeah. sure.
2: And yeah. the future, I suppose, for there's lots we want to do. Obviously, this year, we really want to launch our um, teacher training qualification. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to expand our programs, what we're doing in prisons and, and within schools and communities. Um, But yeah, the idea with Gloves Not Guns and and sort of urban yogis is to sort of turn them into sort of huge national initiatives that are delivering sort of the services and support to communities all over the UK and maybe one day nationally, internationally. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: So like right now, you're mostly working like in the London area.
2: Yeah, so with gloves not guns it's all London based. With Urban Yogis it's London and then we're delivering down in um Southwest England, so Devon and uh, Devon and um, Dorset which is okay, good. great. Fantastic. Yeah, and just to say as well like, you know, everything that we do is only made possible by just the amazing staff team that we've got. So just a shout out to to all the staff that will be listening because yeah, it's like it's it's not this isn't just because of me and Adam. It's because of like everybody that's involved in the projects and mm-hmm. everybody yeah. believes in what we're doing, everybody's passionate and you know, we've all got the same vision. Um and you know, everyone's doing it for the right the right purpose.
0: Yeah, it takes such a huge amount of commitment and teamwork to make something like this happen, let alone two. Nonprofit organizations to make two of them successful together yeah. you know it's it's incredible the work that you guys are doing and and i know it takes not just the two of you but a whole army of people behind you That's <laughs> helping and and making it possible so yeah big shout out to all of all of the people involved in your organizations
2: thanks and if, yeah and if you guys are ever over you're obviously welcome to come down to Gloves Not Guns and Urban Yogis and, and teach and get involved.
0: Yeah. Well, Thank if you. we're ever in the area, we're definitely going to look you up. But I'm sure there's lots of yoga practitioners and teachers listening. So I mm. hope they look you up right now, too, because we have many, many UK listeners. It's true.
2: Yeah. And, and just to your, li- your listeners as well. if they like, If there are any people that are interested in getting involved in the project and yeah, just, just reach out to us. Yeah. Do. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: And, um, yeah. And your teacher training sounds like a really amazing program for people who are interested in this kind of work also. And even teachers of yoga who want to, you know, understand more how to teach in a trauma informed way and in environments where, where people might, you know, come from a trauma background. So I can't wait for you to have that as one of your offerings too it sounds amazing
2: cool. thank you both for having me yeah thank well you, thank ben. you
0: so much ben
1: really pleasure to meet you
0: thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony with me your host harmony slater you can find out more information on my website harmonyslater.com and i look forward to connecting with you again soon
3: sta